This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go behind the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. In the run-up to Malaysia Day this year, we saw headlines regarding a push for Sabah and Sarawak to be given 35% representation in the Day 1 Rakyat. The Special Counsel on MA63 recently endorsed this proposal, paving the way for the East Malaysian states to gain up to 78 seats in the lower house. Will this ensure greater political representation for East Malaysia in our parliamentary democracy? Dr. Wang Chinhuat, political analyst and electoral system expert, joins me today to discuss this. Chinhuat, good morning. It's always good to have you on the show. Good morning, Sashana. Thanks for having me. Now, I confess that the demand for one-third of seats in Parliament for East Malaysian constituencies wasn't something that I automatically associated with the MA63 agreement. What are the historical or legal grounds for this assertion? Where does this proposal actually come from? The claim that MA63 gave Sabah and Sarawak one-third of the seats as a veto power is a myth perpetuated by ignorance or dishonesty because the MA63 say nothing about a fixed percentage of representations for Sabah and Sarawak, let alone a wanted veto vote. What we had is in the 1962 inter Committee IGC report that led to MA63, the IGC report did guarantee 25% of seats for Sabah and Sarawak, but only for seven years after Malaysia Day, which means it has expired by 1970. Okay, so you mentioned this seven-year time limit. I think um, the uh, IGC report that you're referring to did specify that the seat allocation for Sarawak would be 24 seats. For Sabah, it was 16 seats. Um, and the, the writing says that this is set for seven years. So in that sense, what is supposed to happen after that seven years then? Does that mean that these proportions don't apply and the seat allocation can actually vary in whatever manner that um, the states wish? Uh, what actually means is that the MA63 did not think through what to do after that. It should fall back to the general uh, provisions, meaning that you go back to how we allocate parliamentary seats to states based on the proportions of their electorate. Okay, all right. So, so in that in that sense, this claim of one-third seats, in your view, is actually a bit disingenuous because it doesn't really have a, a legal basis uh, per se. Um, why is increasing the representation of East Malaysia in the Day One Rakyat detrimental to the democratic principle of one person, one vote? This is one of the critiques that uh, those who are opposed to the idea uh, put forth. What does that mean in practice? Now, when we talk about uh, the current situation now, Sabah and Sarawak is already overrepresented with 25% of uh, seats with around one-sixth of uh, votes uh, electorate. So the largest constituency up to April shows that uh, Bangi would have around 300,000 voters, while the smallest one of whole Malaysia is in Igan Sarawak has only about 28,000. We are talking about 10 to 1. Mm -hmm. That's the ratio we are talking about. Now, if you're going to increase that percentage from 25% to a gross 
uh, overrepresentations of 35%, that percentage is likely go up to 10 to uh, 12 to 13 times. Can we accept that? There is a serious implications on political stability with such overrepresentation. What it means is that you can have a government with a majority uh, uh, in the parliament, which might be an absolute minority in among the population. Mm -hmm. So that government may make decisions that would be opposed by more than half of the population. So how can a country stand this way? I know a lot of uh, East Malaysians and even liberals here in West Malaysia like to see more decentralization. I am one of them who want to see this, but it would be very dangerous if decentralization is not well planned, but rather uh, ad hocly, uh, 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 arbitrarily decided uh, based on political expediency. Because what you could see might need not just a disintegration of Malaysia, but rather that Sarabah, Sabah and Sarawak may become few state on their own, uh, being captured by their own politicians. Mm. And I suppose one question I've been wondering is, why do you think the call for 35% parliamentary seats for East Malaysia is gaining traction, particularly now? And uh, you mentioned about um, how there are there's support for this, both from East Malaysia as well as from some West Malaysia politicians. Do you think that this pi- there's enough bipartisan support to actually see this proposal go through? Now, this happened because the national politics is so fragmented and West Malaysian politicians are now making generous promises before elections because these election, these promises are what they do not plan to execute later. We have seen that in 2018 when one opposition leader generously promised that 50% of income, revenue, income tax revenue from Sabah and Sarawak would be returned to the uh, to the state governments. But of course, this did not happen. The same MT is now calling for not, uh, for, for this 35% guarantee to be incorporated in, uh, the federal constitution before G15. Now, we, what we are looking here is not to add a line that say you're going to have 35%, but we have to amend Article 46 of the federal constitution, which allocates seats to each of the states and region. So that negotiation, negotiations of uh, who gets what and so on, uh, will take months, if not a year or two. Because we, I don't think the Malayan state will say, it's fine that you guys get, uh, you know, uh, a couple more seats while we remain the state. Everyone will want to have more. So it's, it's definitely impossible. What it tells you is that, um, East Malaysians are given promises again with no real commitment to be implemented. So if your, if your suitor promises you moon and the star, when he doesn't even have a kite. Can you trust it? <laughs> I see. So this is one of those, um, it, it, given the political environment at the moment, given that we are heading into GE15, I suppose the um, p- 
pledge of 35% seats for East Malaysia is a very catchy way to attract voters to one side or the other. Chin Huat, I'm wondering, I'm going off topic a little bit here, but um, you spoke about how some constituencies um, have, a, the population is just so much larger than other constituencies. Is there an argument to be made that there should actually be more seats in parliament overall? Should parliamentary seats actually be bigger than the 222 that we already have? We have two issues here. One is that this idea that the parliament size should grow with the population. Second is there is uh, how do we deal with the pressure for a cyclical increase of parliamentary seats? The two are connected, uh, but they have to be treated separately. Number one, if we think that because the population or electorate has grown, then therefore we need more seats. We are basically saying that uh, MPs work is to serve the constituency uh, to provide services, not in debating policy and making law in the House. Why? Because we are not talking at all about increasing the length of parliamentary session. Mm. So imagine that if you have the same number of days, but now you have more MPs. What it means is that you're paying more MPs each year for each of them to do less work. How can that work? It certainly doesn't work. So we have to stop this idea that with a with an increase of populations, then we need to have more MPs. No, MP job is not to provide to run constituency service center. To do that, you can we should use the bureaucrats. Now the second question here is that our system has a fundamental flaw because we refuse to accept that when population uh, the size of electorate change across the states. You need to transfer some seats from the less populous states to the more populous one. Uh, that's the idea called reapportionment because we refuse to do that. So what happened is that the political pressure forced uh, the parliament to increase almost every after two, two elections, up to 20, 2005. So in order to solve this, we need to change uh, our our electoral system, and when that happened, inevitably you need to add uh, a number of seats. But that addition should be one off. So, in other words, that we need to solve the problem. We need to keep the door open, but it should be one off solution and not uh, cyclically increasing the size of our parliament, as if like we the parliament is a is a you. You know, we just grow bigger and bigger over time. Chinua, thanks very much for that. I think you've put into perspective a lot of the complexities when it comes to parliamentary seats in the day one, right? Yeah, it's not just as easy as changing seats from one or the other. There's actually a lot of thought that needs to go into this, especially if people are serious about 35% to East Malaysia, which, as we just discussed, may not be the best solution forward if increasing political representation is exactly what we want to do. I'm speaking to Dr. Wong Chin Huat, political scientist with Sunway University. We're going to talk more about how political representation can be improved for East Malaysia after a quick break. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar and with me today is Dr. Wong Chin Huat, political scientist at Sunway University. We're discussing ways to improve political representation for East Malaysia. Now, as we were discussing earlier, Chin Huat, increasing the number of MPs in the Dewan Rakyat for Sabah and Sarawak 
I mean, it could be a straightforward way to give more political clout to East Malaysia, but it comes at the cost of representation for other states. And that's a whole separate conversation on its own. Now, one of the key arguments you've made is that the focus should be on improving the function of the Dewan Negara. And unfortunately, the Dewan Negara doesn't really get much attention in uh, the lawmaking process here. I mean, I think the public does see it more as a rubber stamp. Help me understand what the ideal function of the Dewan Negara should be, especially if we compare it to maybe other countries that have a more functional upper house? Uh, in When a country has a bicameral parliament, the upper house is meant to serve as the brick, while the lower house is to function as an accessorator. So in other words, the upper house is to force a reading and give the chance for more negotiation. This can be a very useful uh, mechanism to protect the interests of the minority, which includes small states or special states, special regions like Sabah and Sarawak. Uh, currently, our uh, Dewan Negara consists of 70 members of which 26 come from the states and 44 are appointees by the federal government, including for the three federal territories. Uh, in practice, this is a place where parties put their retiree uh, or lost candidates in elections or young and rising star they want to grow. Mm. And, and sometimes it's a place for them to recruit professionals to be made cabinet minister. But they hardly function because of they, the fact that they are not directly elected. Uh, they have little power, mm -hmm. rightly. They can only reject uh, delayed bills if it's budget bills from the Dewan Rakyat for a month and other bills for up to a year. Mm -hmm. So what we really need here is to revamp this, to make Dewan Negara uh, uh, an upper house with real power so that they can actually represent the states. Uh, what I would propose is to convert this entire upper house into a 100-seat chamber, fully elected, and to have full power to check on the lower house. And then with that, Sabah, including Labuan and Sarawak, would each get 70, 17 seats. I see. So you're suggesting for the Dewan Negara to be enlarged to 100 seats, and all of this would be allocated equally among the different states, similar to what I suppose the U.S. Um, Senate House is, in that each state yes. has two uh, permanent members that are appointed, that are elected by the people. Yes, we can, we, can, we can go that way, or maybe a bit closer, as in Australia, where uh, the states and the territory have different sides. So we can actually arrange to that way that Sabah and Sarawak, Sabah including Labuan here, we get 17 seats. So together, they form 34% a veto block. Uh, and then the rest of 66 seats will be divided uh, across the Malayan states. And if necessary, we can create a few seats for the Orang Asli. I so see. in that way, you would it would it would really function. We don't really need uh, appointees, uh, professionals, appointees. The parties can it can appoint them. As, can nominate them as candidates for them to be in the seats. When they are elected, then they would have the legitimacy 
to block any legislations from lower house from the lower house and to force a renegotiation. Jinhuat, so far, how much appetite is there for reform of the Dewan Negara at the moment? Because as I see it, it's a pretty um, politically expedient tool for the government to use, I suppose, to put the people that they want um, in in cabinet or positions of government. Unfortunately, uh, there has been very little interest on this because our politicians, our parties are always thinking that, well, if I become government, then I want to keep this as you say that uh, they are convenient to to fill in people. But if they are opposition, then they think that it's not possible. And that go back to larger questions. Our parties are not thinking forward of what needs to be done in their best interest in the long run. And that's the reason why we are into uh, so much. Uh, political mess. Mm. Now, another proposal you suggest is delegating more powers to state and local authorities in East Malaysia. What would this devol- what would this greater devolution of powers look like? I mean, Sabah and Sarawak already have autonomy in certain matters beyond other states in the federation. So, should they be given more? Then, is that what the argument is about? Yes, and I would argue that for Sabah and Sarawak to get more, they also need to need the help from Malayan states so that the Malayan state get a little bit more, but still less than Sabah and Sarawak. Now, uh, we need to look back at history. MA63 actually gave Singapore a much better deal than Sabah and Sarawak. Uh, Singapore, which had more population than Sabah and Sarawak then combined, were given only 15 seats as compared to the 40 seats for the Borneo states. However, so this was greatly in uh, their disadvantage. They were underrepresented. However, to compensate that, they were given power in educations, in medicines, and in labor affairs. And they were also given power to borrow uh, on their own. These are powers that Sabah and Sarawak do not have, and they want. So you can't ask for parliamentary overrepresentations and decentralization at the same time. What Sabah and Sarawak should ask for is to get what Singapore got at that time for the two years. Now, what had happened, so MACT3 is not a perfect document. It was very cunningly drafted uh, to, to control, uh, to check on Singapore and control Sabah and Sarawak. We should have, we should have had more uh, decentralization without parliamentary underrepresentations or overrepresentation. So Sabah and Sarawak should push for this. Imagine if they get control on education and on healthcare, they can actually bring much more uh, developments and well-being to their own people. And if they, uh, the, the next thing is that they should team up with the Malayan states to get a share of income tax. This is more important than tourism because one day you run off of your research. And secondly, in the time at the age of climate change, uh, petroleum, oil and gas may become less important. But if you get a share of your income tax, that gives you incentive to develop your own states. This is what you need to get, Sabah mm. and Sarawak. Mm. So it's more important for Sabah and Sarawak to be king in their home region rather than merely kingmakers in the federal capital which at the end of the day, you enrich some uh, politicians from Sabah and Sarawak 
but keeping most Sarawakian and Sabahan remain poor. So why is it so that you need to fight for the best interests of your politicians instead of yourself? And you mentioned something, um, you made a curious comment on social media not too long ago, Chinhuat, about how Sabah and Sarawak shouldn't view um, the peninsula Malayan states as equivalent to the federal government, which I think is what um, is commonly perhaps mistaken as, uh, as in Sabah and Sarawak on one side and then the federal government, which includes all the other states on the other. Whereas actually, individual states also have skin in the game and there could be a lot more, um, I guess, a, a lot more progress made if the states are viewed individually rather than as one entity that's the federal government? Yes. Um, Sabahan and Sarawakians perhaps like to see themselves as like Scotland. However, they cannot box the Malayan states into England. In the case of UK, England has no uh, its, own re- its own regional government. And, and what Sabahan and Sarawakians try to do is to live in 1963. To think that say it remains three party and they think that that's the only way that can protect and advance Sabah and Sarawak interests, the reality is the opposite. If you, first of all, federal government has its own institutional interest to take away power from the states, while the Malayan states will want to have more power. They are not together. By assigning uh, the federal government with to represent all the Malayan states, you are uniting them. Why would you want to unite your opponents when you want to renegotiate? You want to renegotiate the deal with them. You should divide them. You should reach out to Malayan states who, uh, you know, Selangor, Penang, Johor, Tengganu on your side. Chinhuat, thank you very much for an insightful conversation on how the parliamentary democracy of Malaysia could work better in the future. Um, appreciate your comments as always. That was Dr. Wong Chinhuat, political analyst at Sunway University. This has been Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Uh, we are coming up to the today News Bulletin, and after that, it's over to Enterprise. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.